0: So, yeah, I want to explain about this practice and my own introduction to it, which was actually in 1980. At this point, some of you might have been born after 1980, and it seems like 1980, boom, just a few moments ago. But, um,. In in November of 1980, I actually, I was very much into Vipassana, mindfulness meditation. And I I have a beloved meditation teacher, Dr. Rina Surkar, and she invited me and, and a number of her students to travel with her to Southeast Asia, to Burma, which is now known as Myanmar, and to meet her teacher, who was uh, Tungpulu Seattle, a very revered, um, forest monk in the Burmese Theravada forest tradition. And, um, on, on, I, I decided to, to take temporary ordination in the Burmese tradition. You can, uh, ordain temporarily. It's not like a life commitment. And so I had the opportunity to temporarily become a forest monk in a very, uh, rural Place in in central Burma, the main source of transportation in this area was ox cart. There was no electricity, and um, it was a is a great place to practice. Very quiet, and um, and so I, I remember um, on when I ordained as a monk, they have a tradition of you know, one of the things is to shave your head. And while they were shaving my head, the monks were shaving my head, they were reciting these Pali words, Kedaloma, Loma to so Mantam Naru Atiyatamezam Wekam, Hariam Yakanam <speaking> Kalomakam Piyakam Papatham, Antam Antaguna Udurin Kiritham Matalungam, Peitam Theimam <Hebrew> Pubbo, Lohitam Theiro Athu Watha Kelo Tengenika Latika Modam and um, and they kept on reciting this over and over and over again and uh, I finally asked one of the monks who spoke some English and he said that uh, they were chanting the 32 parts of the body meditation head hair body hair nails teeth skin flesh sinews bones bone marrow kidneys heart liver diaphragm spleen lungs large intestine small intestine stomach feces brain bile phlegm pus blood sweat fat tears grease saliva mucus oil of the joints and urine and that was the first time i ever heard this list and was like really (laughs) what is this and um so that was my introduction to the practice and evidently it is very traditional when you ordain be it as a monk or a nun that they as they're shaving the head they will recite these parts of the body what I didn't know was that Tung Pulucero, my teacher, was very, um, that the 32 parts of the body was a practice that he worked with uh, very much in his life and, and taught it. And it came to find out later that it was actually not that common for, uh, that this practice is even um, used anymore. Most of the time it's very ritualistic that you just recite these parts when you get your head shaved, but uh, Tungpulucero was um, completely into this as a primary practice. So this was my introduction to the 32 parts of the body. And so I, I began practicing with this a little bit here and there, and um, eventually I went back home to California, and we actually invited Tungpulucero and um the other monastics to come to the Bay Area. And we gradually um, found a place to, to have a temporary monastery. We rented a house in San Mateo. This was in early 19, uh, 1981. And then we were very um, fortunate with the support of the, of the, the Burmese community and, and some Westerners that are really into Vipassana meditation that we were able to buy a property in the Santa Cruz Mountains, in Boulder Creek. And there I ended up living at Tungkulu Kabaye Monastery, a Buddhist monastery, for eight and a half years. And then eventually um, le- left, which is another story that I won't go into now. And um, <clears throat> But while I was at the monastery, I, I would continue to practice this meditation from, from time to time. But, you know, I wasn't fully into it. I was mainly into uh, the mindfulness of uh, more traditional Vipassana insight meditation practices, such as um, mindfulness of breathing, listening to sounds, feeling sensations, open awareness, loving kindness meditation. But I kind of kept this 32 parts of the body. Um, I never fully left it. And after leaving the monastery in 1989, I, um, well, part of the show, I ended up getting married (laughs) and, uh, and I needed to get a job. I hadn't worked in about 10 years in a, in a regular place because I was, um, Dharma bumming it. And if you will, um, you know, just living in the monastery and I was very fortunate to, um to get a job at the Cabrillo College Stroke Center here in Santa Cruz. Actually Cabrillo College is in Aptos, but the Stroke Center was in Santa Cruz and it was particularly working with people with strokes, Parkinson's disease, multiple sclerosis, other neurological or orthopedic conditions. And my job was as a counselor and I began to work with people um, in a number of different capacities. And one of them was to teach stress reduction. And I began to teach some mindfulness practice And I found that this was very, very helpful for people. I remember once sharing this, um, you know, I remember once a a person telling me, an older person that had a stroke, saying that this mindfulness stuff is keeping me out of the nursing home. And I said to her, what do you mean? She goes, well, look at me. I'm an old lady. I got to get up in the middle of the night and I got to go pee and I have to walk to the toilet with my walker. And now since I'm mindful of lifting, moving and placing, I'm being mindful of my walking. I'm not going to end up falling down, breaking my hip, and ending up in a nursing home. And I would hear other anecdotal stories of the benefits of of mindfulness, very practical aspects, as well as perhaps very deeper aspects of beginning, like how do I begin to meet and develop this relationship with my leg or my arm that is no longer working the way that it once did, and developing some sense of... um, some. Uh, maybe meeting it in a, in a more wiser, in a compassionate way. So um, I was having very positive experiences teaching mindfulness in, at the Stroke Center, and I was sharing with an ex-monk friend of mine about my work there, and he said, well, there was a book just published, and I'm going to send it to you. And so I got this in the mail a couple of weeks later and it was a, the book's name was Full Catastrophe Living by Jon Kabat-Zinn who is the founder of mindfulness-based stress reduction at the University of Massachusetts Medical Center and I read this book and I couldn't believe that somebody had created a whole program on mindfulness working with people living with stress pain and illness. I was really uh, blown away by it and and I recognized from my monastic experience and you know practicing meditation for a number of years that that within this book and what he was talking about that the essence of the Dharma was was in there but it was written in a more of a recontextualized language not a decontextualization but a recontextualization and I was I was really amazed at what they were doing working with people that were dealing with stress and pain and illness and of course uh, what's beautiful about The acronym is called MBSR. Is that it was taught in a medical center, which actually John Kabat-Zinn calls a medical center a dukkha magnet, and a dukkha in in the Pali language in Buddhist uh, literature means suffering. It's a suffering magnet. I mean, this this is probably the best place to be teaching mindfulness. is a place where there's a lot of suffering, and people living with stress, pain, and illness, and and so he, you know, very particular, paid close attention to how do I recontextualize this teaching in this language in a way that can be in the mainstream that regular people like you and me can practice because a number of the people that are going to the hospital may not be interested in going to Spirit Rock or some Buddhist meditation center like that's kind of a little outside of their um, interest But uh, to come to a hospital and to learn about mindfulness as a way to potentially work with stress, pain, and illness seemed like a pretty credible way. And um, so when I um, read the book, as I was saying, I was very amazed with what they were doing. And so I actually wrote Jon Kabat-Zinn a letter thanking him for... Publishing this book and letting him know that I was working at a stroke center and I shared with him some of my experience about having lived in the Monastery for a number of years and and actually he called me back a couple of weeks later. This was before he was famous and and um, We got acquainted and essentially he said um, Come and visit us and and I, my folks live in the Boston area and I was going there about a month and a half later and so I ended up going to UMass Medical Center and meeting John Caputzin and colleagues and Saw what they were doing, and I, I was so inspired. It's like I want to come back and do this at the stroke center, in a more formal way. At that point, there was not even any MBSR teacher training, and essentially John kabat Sin said, "You know, the the curriculum is in the book Full Catastrophe Living. Go ahead and teach it. If you have any questions, give us a call." <laughs> it's not like that now. Now you have to pay a lot of money and go through a lot of training but, um, because it's a very standardized program. But those were my early roots in MBSR. And I'm bringing this up because part of in the MBSR um, program, the, the, one of the main meditation practices is called the body scan. And the body scan, the way that they do it in MBSR, beginning with the left foot and working your way up the body to the top of the head. He was, John Kabazin was inspired with the body scan from, um, he had taken a meditation course from Robert Hover, who was a chemist. Robert Hover's teacher was Uba Ken. Uba Ken taught Ruth Denison, him, Goenka this type of um, body scanning technique. And so this was his introduction to, to scanning the body even, but usually with the Goenka tradition, the ubakin tradition, you start with the top of the head and you work your way down. But John Kabazin decided for MBSR to start with the left foot. And when asked why, he said that we his sense was that we live so much in our heads that anatomically speaking, he wanted to go the furthest away from the head and and he, he had the choice between the left to the right foot and for whatever reason chose the left there's no magic to the left foot but that's where he chose but that's where the body scan um in mbsr comes from and so as a budding and mbsr teacher and teaching at different hospitals i was very fortunate to begin doing this before the wave of mbsr even started we began our first class at the Cabrillo college stroke center in 1991 And um, so as the years were going by teaching the body scan, I still kept that 32 parts of the body kind of in my back pocket, if you will, I would every now and again, I'd be practicing it some, but then I'd come back to the body scan because that's what I'm teaching. And so it's kind of funny to say this, but I've lived long enough that I can say this, that after 26 years. that's in 2006 i was introduced to this practice in 1980 and in 2006 26 years later i had this realization that this practice was absolutely profound and i want to practice this very deeply and i want to share this with others and i'll actually the wonderful thing about zoom i can share the screen here and i want to share with you um a picture it's kind of a humorous picture of uh gary larson on the far side and um you know it's kind of a picture it's a picture of three cows in a pasture they do this every day in and day out but this one cow in the center here has an epiphany and begins to share with the other cows, hey, wait a minute, this is grass. We've been eating grass. Hey, wait a minute, this is grass. We've been eating grass. And in the same way, maybe it was like this 26 years later, there was this epiphany of, hey, wait a minute, we have a body. I have a body. I have a body. There was something. Something just opened up. Them. Like I've got a body, even though i had been teaching the body scan and all, all these different practices. Somehow, this thirty-two press just opened up in a full-dimensional way that that really uh, struck a deep chord in me. And also the recognition that this practice was not really taught at all in 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 the world very much it's very it's actually um, you know fairly rare to to do this type of practice and Tumpulu lucero my teacher actually i'll just show you a beautiful picture if you want to honor temple lucero let me see here we go so that's venerable Tungpulu toya kabaye sero <laughs> And that, what that means is uh, the um, World Peace Forest Teacher from Ghost Mountain. <laughs> He's got a long name, but he was the World Peace Forest Teacher from Ghost Mountain, Tungpulu Sero. And I'll close the, the share now. And... Um, Tungphu actually had this to say about the 32 parts of the body. He says that the 32 parts of the body meditation is the most eminent amongst all of the foundations of mindfulness. That this meditation is unlike any other kind of meditation. And it is brought to light and taught only in the times that the Buddhas arise. And, um... He's not kidding when it says that um, it's unlike any other meditation, perhaps, that you've practiced. Because it has a very uh, particular uh, format in way of doing practice. So there's a very particular method to practice the 32 parts of the body. And the first part is called the sevenfold skill in learning. Which is a very kind of archaic uh, wording and arrangement. Bear with me on that. But essentially, what this means is, as far as doing this practice, is that we must, we, that there's a chanting part to this. So you can see how I was just rattling off these body part names, because I've done this for years now. And traditionally, you, re- you, can, you recite these practices, and we'll do it. Each time we meet, we're going to recite all 32 parts five times forwards, five times backwards, and five times forward and backwards. So there's a part to this practice of verbal recitation, the chanting of the parts. And then that sets up the conditions for us to know it mentally. So, for example, next week we're going to work with head hair, body hair, nails, teeth, skin. And we'll just say that out loud, head hair, body hair, nails, teeth, skin. Head here, body here, nails, teeth, skin. Head here, body here, nails, teeth, skin. Up to five times, and then we'll recite it mentally inside ourselves five times silently. So silently, head here, body here, nails, teeth, skin. Head here, body here, nails, teeth, skin, and so forth, up five times. So we're going to learn it verbally doing the chant. That sets up the condition to know it mentally. And then we begin to penetrate into the color of the part. So for head here, head here has a wide range of colors from brown, black, blonde, gray, white, um, and so forth. The shape of it is like like leaves of of grass, some curly, some straight. The direction, where is this part located? Is Is it above or below the navel? So in the case of the direction, it's above the navel. The head here is above the navel. The location, it's on the top of the head. The delimitation is what is it bordered by. So the head here is bordered by the the face and the ears and the neck and so forth. So we're gonna be learning the, um, we'll be practicing in this way. So we're gonna be guiding you through meditation where we'll be chanting it, then we'll be saying it to ourselves silently. Then we're gonna be going into the color, the shape, the direction, the location, the delimitation. And then we also add on it's definition. What actually is head here, for example? It's thin, flexible shafts of hardened cells protruding from the head. It's, that's its definition. What's its function? Its function, it helps to um, uh, protect from ultraviolet light. It also has some thermal regulation. It helps to keep us warm. This is head here. So being aware of, of this particular part of the body and then also being aware of what it evokes. There's so much memory enwrapped in head here. And so as we sit with head here, we bear witness to what potentially arises as we sit with it. And the same will go with body hair and nails and teeth and skin and flesh and sinews and bones and marrow and kidneys and heart and liver and diaphragm, spleen and lungs and so forth. So since it's on your screen to see uh, these benefits, alleged benefits of this practice is, the, is to really begin to penetrate this, this, uh, this narrative, this story, this identification of I, me, and my begins to get a little bit blurried. We begin to see the overlay of this identity. So this, this, this sense of the erroneous view of self becomes lessened and eradicated some degree it can also work with helping to heal different illnesses and I'll never forget a, a dear friend of mine who's now passed on but she was given um one month to live with a with a lung cancer and I met her at the monastery and she came and and, uh, and she was given the 32 parts of the body to practice with and she practiced with it very faithfully and at the end of one year she was doing pretty darn well and so she wrote a little uh, postcard to her oncologist and wrote, still here, love Barbara. Well, that went on for about six years. She had a prognosis of one year and eventually, um, eventually she did pass on. But um, she really attributed the, the length, this was way longer than what she could have ever imagined. Um, what was alleged? You know the 32 parts of the body. I'm gonna see if I can just find here. There's a powerful reading from Barbara. There I have it. Yeah. So she writes. This is this is close to when she realized that um, that the, the cancer was turning and she was gonna pass. But the, even the how she writes in this poem. There's some deep healing that she speaks of. She calls it of life and death. And she says, it's not the will to live which sustains my life, but the release from fear. I've not outwitted death, but broken free from the stranglehold of fear. At Christmas we celebrate the wonder of birth, at Easter the miracle of rebirth. What then of death? Without fear, death unfolds like a warm cloak of soft black wool. Death is the abyss from which all life emerges, drawn by the light. Barbara Roberts. There's a beautiful line from Sumkhapa that says, The human body at peace with itself is more precious than the rarest of gems. I love that line. The human body, at peace with itself, is more precious than the rarest of gems. So you could say, in many ways, that Barbara had experienced some deep, deep peace within her to meet her life and her death. Other benefits speaks about it helps because we're doing so much concentration with memorizing these parts and reciting these parts, and of course, directing our mind to the parts. This helps to build. Um, and amass deep concentration. And then there's kind of a few funnier things, like if we do this practice, we'll become more intelligent. We'll become the conqueror of boredom and delight. The conqueror of fear and dread. Those actually sound pretty good. Can bear the cold and the heat better. Attains jhana, which means absorption, deep concentration. Attains nibbana, ultimate and deep freedom of mind and heart. So I'd like to also just speak about, because um, I, I think it could be a, a question that a number of you have, about why these parts? Why this order? And I will tell you up front, I don't know, but I've been working with this practice for since 1980. And so my experience can speak to this. I have combed through the the Buddhist canonical literature about why these parts, why this order, and there's, there's no real commentary on this. But one thing that I can say is that Any one of these parts of course is interconnected to all of the other parts that make this body be what it is. And so I consider these parts to be like a doorway, an ambassador into the rest of the body and because this is such an ancient practice i mean no doubt we could probably make up our own 32 parts and not not use this list but you know there's something that's very traditional in me this is an an old ancient teaching from early buddhism and so i like to honor that and use these parts but i also know through doing this practice for so many years that all these parts will lead to everything else for example my wife uh, lives with with diabetes and even though in the in the abdominal area of the pancreas is not mentioned as she sits and works with with the the abdomen with the large intestine small intestine stomach feces brain um, gradually she begins to get more access into her pancreas so all of these parts are accessible to us and as we sit with each part it may evoke other parts so there's a certain traditional way of um working with these parts in this way. And then um, the order is also kind of interesting. And actually, if you look at these parts, the first 20 are solid parts, and the last 12 are liquid. And it's what's very interesting um, in the order, so we go head here, body here, nails, teeth, skin. And if you think about it, when we look at other people, aside from clothes, That's what we see on the outside. We see head here, we see body here, we see nails, we see teeth, we see skin, and and of course the clothes. And so it's very amazing that we start with this outer layer. And, you know, I think it was very wise because when we look at um, like all of the fussing and the money that we have spent on head here, body here, nails, teeth, and skin. It's unbelievable. I actually had a, a former um, chief financial officer take my class long, long time ago, and she actually created an Excel sheet of how much money she has spent on head hair, body hair, nails, teeth, skin, up to the age of 70, and it was Quite astounding how many hundreds of thousands of dollars for hair curlers and nail files and shampoos and cleans. I mean there's like a this is like a lot go go look in your bathroom. I mean look at all the stuff you got. You're fussing with head hair and body here and nails and teeth and skin. And so I think it's very powerful to begin with these parts that we see. It's very powerful. And then we begin to have this sobering thing. I I have all this stuff about head hair, but then I begin to learn, if you open up a medical dictionary, it says, what's head hair? It's thin, flexible shafts of hardened cells protruding from your head. That's what head hair is. And it's helpful for thermal regulation. It keeps us warm. And it also has some, um, you know, protection from from ultraviolet light. So some protection elements. But that's really what head hair is. But we build a whole world out of head hair, and body hair, and nails, and teeth, and skin. The cosmetic industry understands this very clearly. It's a multi, multi, multi-billion dollar industry fussing with head hairs, body hairs, nail, teeth, and skin. So as we sit with these, we can begin to penetrate through the, um, perhaps break some of the spells of enchantment. Oh. Maybe I can develop another relationship with head, hair, and body, hair, and nails, teeth, and skin that I've been such an adversary with. I can de- develop perhaps a more wiser and kinder relationship with the body. So it's very interesting, head, hair, body, hair, nails, teeth, skin, and then the next grouping is flesh, sinews, bones, bone marrow, kidneys. So flesh is muscle, sinews is connective tissue. So yes, we open up the skin, Underneath it is muscles, is connective tissue, is the bones, the bone marrow, and then what appears to be a particular jump, all of a sudden you're in kidneys. But actually it's very interesting, Um, bone marrow is about blood purification and production and kidneys filters the blood and, and cleans the blood, so there's some connection there. But you may ask on, on, on further down, like, what does large intestine, small intestine, stomach, feces, brain have to do with things? Why is feces next to the brain? Did the Buddha have a sense of humor? But they actually, we begin to also realize that, that you know, that, that feces or the digestive system, some neuroscientists call this the second brain in, in, in these, these days. But that is, I, I understand, a little bit of a jump from feces to the brain, but maybe not. So we're gonna go through these parts, part by part, being aware of what we're feeling physically, what's getting evoked physically, what's coming up mentally, what's coming up emotionally. It's a very powerful practice. I just wanna show you one other thing. Okay. This is the the handout that's going to be on the Insight Santa Cruz website, and we'll we'll send you in the chat where you can find that. And, and if you want, you could even just take a picture with it with your phone as well right now if you want. But this is essentially the formula of uh, what we're going to do each week. So there's uh, this week, as mentioned, is the introduction, and then. Next week we'll begin with these five parts of the head, hair, body, hair, nil cheese skin, and then week three, flesh, sinews, bone, bone, marrow, kidneys. So we'll be going through each of these groupings. And then in um, the last week we're gonna do some practices with the with the elements and have the uh, the closing of the class. During the week, I would I would love if um, you could continue with the practice. And if you go to, maybe you, let's see. Um, I have a website called 32partsofthepractice.com. Let me see if I can put this on the share just so you can see it for a second. Here we go. So there's a website that we created many years ago called the 32 Parts of the Body Meditation. And, and on that handout, there is the, is the link to this website, but here you can actually do a practice like the, here's the group of head, hair, body, here, nails, teeth, skin. It's a guided meditation. There's a next meditation on flesh, sinus, bones, bone marrow, kidney. So you can play this and listen to this and practice along with it, if you like, as a way of support. So we will be practicing in our class, this particular group, and then at home, you can go on the 32 parts of the body website and click the audio and practice along with that if that's supportive for you. And, you know, it's great if you're able to do that, um, you know, during the week as best you can, um, to help inspire you to do the practice. But we we'll each week we'll be practicing, again, with with these parts of the body in a sequential way. And traditionally, we do we do five at a time, five at a time, five at a time, this Four groups of five parts of solids and two groups of six liquids and so we'll be practicing in this way just so you can get get a sense of this um, I've, I've shared quite a bit here tonight um, but I, I will say one other thing then I'll take a few questions so if you start getting curious and you start getting on the internet and searching 32 parts of the body. I want to just share a few things with you so that you're not surprised. There's a couple of different ways to do this practice, and probably the the way that's most out there um, is a is that this practice can be used as a way to um, work with these parts as they interconnect in with the elements of solids liquids motion and temperature but it also can be used in what might be more prevalent you you will see um very strong language sometimes this practice is um they'll they'll speak of it as an asuba practice that's the word in pali which means non-beautiful but somehow that non-beautiful has been um brought to a, a much um, negative association with the body so you might see things like the the loathsome repulsive aspects of the body you can tell this right away Whoa, that's these are strong words so they pretty so you might see some of this language of the loathsome the repulsive the disgusting aspects of the body i do not teach it that way and um, actually even during the buddha's time there were some monastics there's a story that got so grossed out over the body they took their lives and then the Buddha had to say this is not the way to practice it's developing a wiser relationship with the body but you but somehow the things that um, you know um, as it gets on the internet and certain things begin to stick out more than others so if you see that um, I just want to let you know that that's there and, and perhaps in earlier days when there was, um, there was some association with, with the loathsome aspects in that the monastics were, they were younger monastics and essentially they had still very strong sexual drives and so this was a way to help curtail their lust was to begin to reflect upon the more loathsome aspects of the body. However, we are not monastics and we're developing a wiser relationship with the body and and perhaps, you know, dissolving some of that spell of the enchantment of the body that the cosmetic industry will um, really emphasize. And so we're developing in this practice a more healthier and wiser relationship with the body. And essentially what Kara and I are going to do is we're not going to give any types of words like that that the body parts are disgusting or they're wonderful we're just going to like be matter of fact like from from a medical dictionary again if you read about it here it's the flexible shafts of hardened cells we're going to be doing this with each of the parts and we're going to leave it up to the persons that's practicing to discover um their own relationship with that part and again i i i've heard one i remember one person at a retreat i taught at spirit rock She she's At the end of the retreat, she gave this announcement to the world, I love my large intestines. Because she had had this whole challenge with large intestines for most of her life. And during this retreat, she met her large intestines in a much kinder and wiser way. And so, so our practice is just to state the parts as they are and to be aware of what it evokes. Some people discover, like, I I feel a lot of healing around bile. Many people go, oh, bile or pus, like, ugh, like, it's pus. But actually, it's a liquid byproduct. Pus is a liquid byproduct of inflammation. If we don't have pus, we would be in big trouble. And sadly, to say, there's... A very tiny group of infants that are born in the world from time to time that do not have the ability to form pus and this is often a fatal condition like the pus is a very important part but we may realize as we go through some of the parts of this body that oh this is gross and oh this one I like but actually they're just all doing what they're doing so that we can continue on so it's a it's really um, this practice is amazing and, and, and it you know in, in the years that I've done this it's always something else comes up and, 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 and so on one hand it's both deeply personal because we, we're in the body and our personal story comes up and it's deeply impersonal. It's just what it is. For example, some years ago I was meditating on head here and then this memory, I couldn't stop it, it just flooded me. This memory came up of when I was 13 years old, and it was my day where I was brought up in a Jewish household and I got bar mitzvahed that day, and that night was a bar mitzvah party. And I, and being that I was the one that did the bar mitzvah that day, I was the bar mitzvah boy, I was the the the, the party was about me and becoming a man and, and uh, all this type of stuff. And, um, I remember that night at the party, you know, I wanted my hair to look good. So I went to the bathroom and I'm combing my hair. I don't even got any hair now, but combing my hair and, 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 um, I had this tube of grill cream. And I, and because you know this whole thing about Brill Cream, there's this commercial like a little dab will do you, a little dab will do you well to fix your hair to make it look nice. And I thought to myself, if a little dab will do you, then a lot of dab will do me a lot. And so I ended up putting in the whole tube of Brill Cream in my hair, and my hair was like like you could have cooked French fries in it. There was so much oil and grease, it was falling onto my my suit coat and then I was trying to wash it off and then it was going over my pants and and I was just filled with so much shame and I I just wanted to stay in that bathroom forever but I had to go out and I didn't know what to do and so so I'm just sitting in my meditation and all of a sudden I had completely forgot about this like oh here's shame I see you shame I've been carrying this in my head here in my heart for years now it became seen it became known became to be acknowledged so there's aspects of this practice that could be very personal and then there's other pr- parts of this practice it's like oh wait a minute head here just thin flexible shafts of hardened cells and here I am overlaying it with such a story that's filled with shame and grief and so you can see the juxtaposition of the deeply personal then all of a sudden still, oh just thin flexible shafts of hardened cells. So this practice has both the personal and the impersonal. I'd like to just maybe read you one other Jerry kind of chilling story. I can find it for my this was um sent to me by um A physician friend of mine who really got into this practice and what she did was very um, here we go she she wrote to me she did the 32 parts and then she wrote of her experiences with every single part and what came up for her so here's one on feces so she's sitting with feces and then she writes Oh, here comes the memory. There's no stopping it now. When I was very young, I looked up and admired my brother so much. I would do whatever he told me. One time he told me that he had a club with the neighbor boys, and of course I wanted to be part of that club. Of course, he didn't want me to be in the club, so he told me that the only way I could get into this club was to hold a piece of human shit in your bare bare hand. Clearly, he thought I would never do it. He was so wrong. Soon after, he told me this opportunity came and I caught my own feces in my hand before it touched the water. It was a perfect specimen for this, not wet or drippy. And I walked all the way through the house looking for my brother with this feces in my hand. Finally. I found him outside in the backyard and I showed it to him. I was proud, I was triumphant. I thought he would be so impressed. And all he said was, oh, that's great. Put that thing back. So I did. As far as I know, that club never met. met. I never heard another thing about it. I think I felt like I had proven myself to my brother. I could keep up with him and do whatever he could do but I also had a deeper suspicion that I had been tricked, and I felt ashamed. This memory still fills me with a sense of shame. How could I have not seen through this and done something so disgusting to please someone else? I think I was about five years old at the time. It was small, and it was a silly thing on one hand, but it was an act I did that took away my dignity. There was no one looking out for me. Where the hell was my parents' feces? It's a very powerful, intimate sharing. So we sit with the body. Who knows what comes up? And so it's important, of course, and we're not here to try to traumatize you or anyone, but to be to be gentle, to be careful of, of the body. To um, We don't want to push anyone into too uncomfortable feeling, but within this body, lies our world. There's a beautiful quote from Martha Elliott that says that um, your history is here inside your body. Your body is your storehouse of all of your learnings and thoughts and experiences. Your history is here inside this body. And it's interesting about this body because it's just like just like in the world or in outer space, there's uncharted territory, places where, that are continuing to be discovered. And you would think with all of the anatomy labs and modern science and this and that, 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 that the scientists know everything about the body, but that's not true. Occasionally, a new body part is discovered. Now it doesn't mean that oh you have three arms you didn't know it but but it's like there's a like in in recent times within the last 5 years there was a ligament in the knee that was discovered an anterior lateral ligament and even though there has been so many anatomy labs so many different surgeries somehow um, this was not seen there was a new layer in the human cornea that was discovered there's um an interstitium which had previously gone unnoticed within human beings is actually one of the largest organs of the body. It's this connect, it's a type of a connective tissue of fluid compartments that researchers call interstituum. So anyways, it's very interesting to realize that that we don't there's still so much to know about this body. It's, it's uncharted territory, and we're diving into it Thank you for listening.